Well, good morning, everybody. Y'all doing all right? It's good to see you. I'm excited to be with you today. And for those watching online and in the overflow, we are so thankful that out of all the places you could have been, you decided to worship with family today. And for those who I do not know, my name is Nick, and I get the privilege of being one of the pastors here at New Vision. And I love being able to open up God's word and see what he has for us today. And that's what I'm praying, because I don't have anything to give to you. Anything that I can give to you will not be life-changing, but a word from the Lord will change your life. And so that's what I'm praying for. And I hope that you came with a holy anticipation of the king pouring his spirit out and changing the atmosphere because he desires to do that. For those who don't know me very well, which is the majority of you, um, but some of you in this place know me really well, um, here's something you need to know about me. I am a perpetual grace earner. That's what I do. And you might be going, well, Nick, what does that mean? Well, I'll tell you what that means. That means that even though I know that grace is free, even though I know that the gift of the king of my salvation was not based on anything that I have done or that I do, I am still very particular about trying to earn that free grace that he has given to me. And I think I've been this way since I can remember See, as a kid, I remember I would try to perform because I learned that if I could perform, then it might distract my parents from some of the issues they were having in their marriage. And so in my head, in my young kid brain, I thought to myself, as long as you keep performing, Nick, as long as you keep doing your best in everything, everything would be okay. But the truth of the matter is my parents still ended up getting a divorce, all that performing and getting on the wheel and trying to run and trying to run didn't secure anything. But I thought to myself, I am going to be the one who is able to earn this grace. And can I just tell you, that's a tiring way to live. It wears out your soul. So tiring that I found myself in the midst of counseling, talking to a counselor a little over a year and a half ago, and really I was telling my story and telling her how I performed my whole life, telling her how I have gotten really good at trying to earn grace. And she sat there and she listened to me and she listened to me. And then she said this to me. She said, Nick, you are really good at telling people how to drink from the cup of grace, but you're not very good at drinking from that cup of grace yourself. And I said, won't you back up off me, counselor? And I remember looking at her and thinking to myself, you know what, that's, that's a good word. You probably should do this for a living. But then I sat there and I don't know if it was a new thought. I don't know if it was just me being reminded of what was true. But it was like the Holy Spirit said this to me. He said, Nick, work is a response, not an identity. Now I'm going to say that again because I know some of you in this place, myself included, like, ooh, I don't like that. Hear me. Work is a response, not an identity. See, we, and I'll, let me put myself there, me, I am very, very good at settling for lesser identities. I have gotten really good in my almost 40 years of being really, really good at settling for less. And really this kind of walking and this posture started back in the garden because when sin entered the picture, what do we begin to do? We began to settle for less. And we see that with Adam and Eve. What did they try to do to cover their shame? They knitted together some fig clothes. They're like, look, 
Let me cover my own shame by the work of my hands. And we've been doing the same thing ever since. But the king, and I don't know if you remember the story in Genesis 3, but the king then sacrificed something to clothe the shame of Adam and Eve. In essence, the king was going, no, you can't cover yourself. I am going to give you a clothing of righteousness that covers you, and you can't pay for it. And for some of us, myself is one of the chief ones of this. I don't really know what to do with that. Because I have walked in such a posture that I have continued to try to earn grace. And one of the chief tools I use in order to earn my grace and to perform is work. See, if I can just preach enough good messages, if I can just disciple enough people, if I can baptize enough people, then maybe God will see all the work that I have done. He'll go, Nick, I'm proud of you. Nick, I affirm you. Nick, you're in. But here's the truth of the matter. Before I did a thing, the king knelt down in my messy place. And he said, Nick, this is who you are. And it's not based on you. It's not based on the work of your hands. It's not based on how hard you hustle. It's not based on how many people call you sir. It doesn't matter how many people work in your business. It doesn't matter because I have affirmed and approved and call you right where you are. And you can do nothing about it. Because you can't earn it, even though you keep trying. You can't earn it. Here's the deal, y'all. You can't earn something that's freely given. What you can do is receive it and walk from it, and you can respond to that gift. And this is what we get to respond to. Paul puts it so eloquently in his letter to the church at Colossae when he says this, whatever you do, Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. See, work is a response to the goodness of the king. It is not a means to solidify our identity. That identity has been given to us by a king. You have been made a son or a daughter of a king based on what Jesus has done. That is what your identity is rooted in. Not how good you are at what you do. Hear me. It's great that you're awesome at what you do. Praise God. But it's a sorry identity. Because you're not going to get a better identity than being a son or a daughter of the king. No matter how hard you work, no matter how much money is in the bank, That is not a better identity. It is a response to the goodness of the king. We are called to use our gifts, our talents, and our work to reflect the king and his goodness. How do we do that? Paul says it this way to the church in Rome. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. I heard a pastor say, the problem with living sacrifices is they often crawl off the altar. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. 
Do not conform to the pattern of this world. You have not been called to be like everybody else. You have been called to be like your king. So do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve that what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Work is worship. It is a response because we see that our king is worthy, and so we agree that everything about our lives is going to reflect that king and how worthy he is. Work is worship. It's not us trying to earn an identity. It's not for us trying to to get a place in the kingdom because, no, he's already given us a place. It is our response to the king. Work does not define us. The king does. We get an opportunity to steward, surrender in our gifts and our talents best. As I was preparing for this, I was reading this study note in the Tony Evans study Bible, which Tony Evans, if you're watching, call me. We can be friends, just FYI. But he says this about total surrender, and I like it, but I also don't like it. But I love the way that he framed this up. Here's what he says about total surrender and full surrender. It's the difference between what a chicken and a pig bring to a bacon and egg breakfast. The chicken makes a contribution. The pig gives everything. What we often try to do with God is give an egg here and an egg there. But God wants sacrifice, the ham and the bacon. Only total surrender can be called total surrender. If you're anything like me, I'm really good at giving an egg here and an egg there. But when it comes to fully surrendering and fully sacrificing and fully giving it all to the king, I am not very great at that. But maybe today, together, we can take a step together. Because hear me, I don't like this message today. Can I just be honest with y'all? Let me tell you why. Because a lot of times when I preach, I like to have a better, like, handle on what I'm preaching on. Like, oh, I'm doing pretty good at this. This, I am not there. So hear me, today, this is not a pastor who has arrived at this and learning how to do work well. No, this is a friend and a brother in Christ who is on the journey with you. So today, we are going to walk together. We're going to be exposed to God's word. We're going to let it expose the dark places in our heart. And then we are going to take a different step in light of what has been revealed to us. We're going to do that together. Because I have nothing to give you, as I already said, but God has something that he wants you to hear. So hear me. Lean in. Let's put our walls down. Don't come up with a defense that will allow you to continue to walk in disobedience and poor stewardship of your work. Let's today let the Holy Spirit speak to our hearts in a way that we can hear him and then do something in response to it. So right where you are, let's pray together. Dear Jesus, I pray as we take a journey of what it looks like to work in a manner That is worship that reflects you. Father, I pray that you will reveal what needs to be revealed. I pray that what needs to stay planted will stay planted. And I pray that what is produced from what is planted here today is some good fruit that reflects you. So Jesus, I just am thankful that you have given me a place at your table, not a place I've earned, but a place you have given me. And Father, I can walk from that place and my posture can be different in light of what you have done. And so Father, may we walk together May we fix our eyes on you. May we be transformed by your word and your gospel. And Lord, may we steward work best. Lord, we love you. Lord, we thank you. And Lord, we pray all these things in your awesome 
and amazing name. Amen. First things first. God is the foundation of our work. In the early part of this narrative found in Genesis, you see God doing work, and he's doing some good work, isn't he, y'all? Six days, he's like, boom, night, day, boom, stars, boom, land, water. I mean, he's doing some work, and it is good work. So why do I tell you that? Why do I bring, you, bring that up? Well, because work is not a bad thing, everybody. It really was what God instituted, really, to continue to reveal himself and for us to continue to worship him. It was not meant to be a burden. It was not meant to really define who we are. It was just meant for us to respond and to steward in order to reflect our king. Tim Keller says it this way. Work was not a necessary evil that came into the picture later or something human beings were created to do, but that was beneath the great God himself. No, God worked for the sheer joy of it. Work could not have a more exalted inauguration. See, God gave us work as a gift and not a noose. God gave us work as a gift and not a noose. And some of you are going, Nick, you don't work where I work. <laughs> if you only knew. But can I tell you, when the king determined that work was going to be a part of this narrative, it was a gift and not a noose. You might be going, Nick, I don't believe you. Back it up. Well, let's go to Scripture. Genesis chapter 1. Verse 26 said this. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image. I love that God's talking with the Trinity. He's like, we just talking. I love it. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. God gave us work to steward. Why? Because God worked and he invited us to go and do likewise. Maybe that's not enough evidence for you. That's okay. Genesis chapter 2 verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it. To what? Don't be scared to answer, y'all. Just jump out there. And to take care of it. Let me read it one more time. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Notice what Genesis 2.15 does not say. It doesn't say the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden so that he could have an identity that is rooted in his work. Does it say that? Okay, it also doesn't say the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to earn his grace and his place at my table. He has to work to earn it. Does it say that? No? Let me ask you this question, and this is for you to answer. Don't answer out loud. If it doesn't say that in God's word, then why did we make it that? See, here's the thing I'm continuing to learn is like I don't need to edit what God already said. Sometimes it's like, well, you, what you meant to say. No, sometimes what he meant to say, he said it. Like, hey, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. God just entrusted this to us. It is not a noose, but a gift. 
Tim Keller also says his work and lots of it is an indispensable component in a meaningful human life. It is a supreme gift from God and one of the main things that gives our lives purpose. See, work is inherently good. If you're familiar with the Bible, and even if you aren't familiar in the Bible, the story takes a narrative three, takes a turn in this narrative three chapters in. Adam and Eve, all is good. They're like, woo, work in the land, have food, walking in paradise, walking the cooler day with the king. It don't get much better than this. The enemy comes, hey girl, hey girl. You're missing out on something. The king's keeping something from you. There's more to this. I know you're walking in paradise, but I have something better than paradise. Can I tell you nothing's better than paradise? But yet Eve was like, maybe there is. And Adam was right there. I'd be like, yeah, something better than paradise. Let's go get it. <laughs> and so then the enemy offers an alternative. He goes, listen, you want to be like God? You got to eat from this fruit. And guys, it goes downhill quick, doesn't it? See, and that's what sin does. It perverts what was intended for good. And that's what it did with work. It changed something that was meant to reflect the king, and we have leveraged it and used it in order to earn our place with that king. Where the king said, listen, you don't have to earn this. I'm giving it to you. You are welcome at this table. But you were like, well, I'm going to earn my part. You can't. And then some of us take that as a challenge. Well, I'm going to show you. I'm just going to work my fingers to the bone. I can't see where in Scripture that's the invitation. I see in the world that's written all over things. But when I look at the narrative of Scripture, I do not see that. We see thorns and thistles enter the picture in the narrative of God. But maybe, just maybe, that God is still in the process in the work of redeeming what has been broken. All is not lost. I believe that we can leverage work as worship. I believe that we can leverage work and surrender it into the hands of the king, and it can be redeemed. But it's an active work. It's not going to happen on accident, everybody. We have to recognize what work was intended for and go and do likewise. So in Proverbs chapter 6, Solomon is talking to his sons, talking to his nation, and he's giving them some wisdom when it comes to work. He says this in Proverbs chapter 6, beginning in verse number 6. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief, and scarcity like an armed man. See, for some of us, when we read that, we're like, see, Nick, you got to work real hard. You got to work your fingers to the bone. See, Nick, we, we are supposed to wear out our souls in order to work because we have to work. Yes, you have to work. But here, this passage of Scripture is not just about you working hard. What it's really about is you being a proper steward of what you have been given. This is a stewardship issue. It's not a grace-earning issue or earning your place issue or trying to prove that you're not lazy. It's a, I recognize that I have been given this time, this energy, these gifts, these talents to give back to the king. And so I'm going to give back to the king because I have been invited to be the best steward of what I have been given. This is about stewardship. And when we don't steward work well, when we don't steward all our gifts and talents well, it doesn't end well. 
So how can we view work in it with a different lens? We have to view it this way. Working hard reflects the king. Let's go back to Genesis 2.15. The king worked. For six days he worked. He did some amazing things. We have been invited to go and do likewise. We have been invited to go do as our king has done. Our king put his hands to work. We have been invited to do the same thing. Work has been meant to reflect our king, not to earn a position, not to earn a seat, but to reflect the seat that we have been given already. Another way to view working hard is this. Working hard reveals our love for the king. Colossians 3 verse 17 says this, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I want you to think for a second. What does whatever include? Just think about it. Everything. You got to just drop the V. Everything. It includes everything. Like, and here's the thing, and, and this is me. I don't know if this is you or not. Like, I'm a, and whatever you do, okay, Lord, all the things that I do, I'm going to do for your glory. See, sometimes that means all the public things. But whatever includes everything. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Why? Because working heart reveals our love for the king. We recognize that the king stepped out of glory and met us in the muck and the mire Loved us right where we were, wasn't afraid of getting his white robes dirty, and gave us a place at his table if we are willing to accept it. And so because of what the king has done, we can't help ourselves. So in whatever we do, we want for everybody to know what our king has done. So we work differently. We love differently. We parent differently. We're a spouse differently. We're a student differently. Why? Because of our king. Our king was audacious in the way he loved us. And so we can't help ourselves but to respond with our lives. We can't help ourselves in whatever we do to go, you know what? Let me just show through the way that I live my life of what the king has done on my behalf. Working hard reflects the love of the king to others. And you might be going, Nick, I don't, I don't get how that works. Like, how does that even work? Working hard reflects the love of the king to others. Yes. And you might be going, but Nick, um, you know, I work at Walmart and I don't like humanity. I hear you. I see you. I'm for you. But what I mean by that is if you work at Walmart, every person that comes into the doors of Walmart or you're taking their groceries out to their car, you recognize it as an image bearer and you treat them as such. And as you do that, you are reflecting the love of your king. And you might be going, but Nick, you know, um, I own my own company, and so I'm my own boss, and so I kind of get to run that how I want to run it. And I would say to you, that's nice. Praise God for those gifts and talents and for him allowing you to do that. Um, but you get to reflect the king in this way because here's the deal. Jesus came to serve and not be served. 
And so sometimes we're like, but Nick, you don't know how hard I work to get this place. I recognize how hard you work, but I also recognize who's working in the background. And so it says that anything that is good about you comes from the king, and I believe that. So really, you don't have much to brag about if you're going to be real, because we're going to be real. We're friends, right? Some of y'all are like, I'm rethinking that right now. It's okay. But here's what I mean. Like, if the king of kings and the lord of lords stepped out of heaven and put his crown at his father's feet and said, you know what? I'm going to go and serve my very creation who's going to turn their back on me, but I'm going to go serve them and reveal your love for them. We don't have a play to get off the hook. It doesn't matter how big your business is. It doesn't matter what position you have. We are still called to love people. Why? Because as you love people and you serve people, you reflect your king. That's the goal is to be like Jesus. And I get it. We want to go, but man, that's hard. (laughs) It is. I get it. But let me remind you of something, too. You have the Holy Spirit within you. You have the king who goes before you. And so sometimes, for me, sometimes when I go, but God, that's so hard. He goes, Nick, yeah, but I got you. Just walk in step with me. And really, the invitation is this. Nick, trust me. Didn't always just come back to that. Nick, do you trust me? Because let me just say this to you. Sometimes for me, I think I leverage work in the wrong way because I like the feeling of being in control. Like, if I work all the time, if I work my finger to the bone, then I'm in charge of my own destiny. And that's not trust. See, our working should reflect the love of the king that he has for everyone. And here's a question I have to ask myself, and this is a question that I would encourage you to wrestle with. How will the world be a better place this week because of the way you work? How will it look different? How will that give off the aroma of the king as you work, as you love people, as you steward the gifts and talents you have been given? What picture are you painting of the king through the way you work? The last thing about working hard. Working hard must be balanced with restorative rest. See, for me, like the first three I'm okay with. Like, okay, working reflects the king. Working reflects my love for the king. Working reflects the love of the king for others. I'm in on that. But when it gets to the part of working hard must be balanced with restorative rest, I have to pause. Because I go, well, God, you know the bills. You know how I have to work. And I don't think he is saying, hey, don't work, but I'm just saying if work is not balanced with rest, you are out of sync. For some of us, this week has been a hard week, hasn't it? You've been stuck at your house. And for some of you, you're like, Lord, these kids, you can have them. 
But some of you are walking around going, oh, I need to do something. I need to make something. I need to earn something. I need to do something. I need to, I need to be active. I need to earn my keep. I need to do, 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 do. And I might know that well because I might have been in that same boat. But here's how the Lord always flips the script on me. Maybe this week wasn't punishment, but it was a gift. You ever think about that? Because here's the deal. You couldn't go out and do. You just had to be. And for a lot of us, we don't like that. Why? Because we see that our identity is so rooted at what our hands do that when we get an opportunity to rest, we feel like we're cheating the system. May I remind us of something? The king rested. And can I just tell you, nobody looked at what the king had done in six days and go, and you going to take a break on the seventh day? Why? Because it was enough. It was enough. No one is asking you to kill yourself for a job, to earn something that you've been freely given. Yes, working hard is key, but working hard must be balanced with restorative rest. Psalm 127 verse 1 says this. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Friends, rest and trust go hand in hand. I get it. I know there are things to pay for. I get it. But here's what I also get. The invitation from the king is to go and do likewise. And if the king rested, then how much more do we need to rest? Because rest really is an open-handed posture. It's going, Lord, I trust you with the seventh day. I trust what you say. I trust your word. And so I am going to come to you and I'm going to have this posture of surrender and say, you know what? I trust the king. And here's the thing for me. I'm really good at talking about trusting the king. I'm not so good at walking out trust for the king. If there's no evidence, then it must not be true. So if we say it, but don't live it, what is really true? See, rest is just a posture of trust. And here's the deal. For all of you grace earners out there, for all of you guys who have heard the invitation, who have accepted the invitation, but still find yourselves trying to earn this grace, hear me. You can rest in the completed work of the cross. What's the evidence? The tomb is empty. And since the tomb is empty, we can trust what the king has said and what the king has done. 
So let us be a people that trust not just in word, but also in truth and by our feet. The invitation is to sit in your seat that the king has secured on your behalf. I'm talking to me. I'm talking to me. And the king keeps saying to me, hey, Nick, sit down. I've done the work. Sit down. Maybe for you, it's time to sit down in the seat that has been earned on your behalf and rest in the completed work of a king. If you would, right where you are, if you bow your heads. Dear Jesus, for those of us in this room who maybe have heard about you and heard about this invitation of grace, but yet we have found ourselves in this cycle of trying to earn this thing that you want so desperately to give us. Father, right here and right now in this moment, whether we're watching online, in the room, in overflow, maybe right here and right now in this moment, we need to say yes to this gift of grace. If we could say something like this. Dear Jesus, I don't understand it all, but nobody does. But in the best way I know how, I say yes to the perfect life you lived and the mission you were sent on by your Father. I say yes to the price you paid on the cross, and it was a price I could not pay. I say yes to the fact that three days later, you overcame sin and death, showing me that through you, I can overcome sin and death as well. I say yes. And if you said something like that to the king on the authority of God's word, not on Nick's opinion, but then the authority of God's word, it says you will be saved. Another way to say that is you have taken your seat at the table of the king and you have become a son or daughter. Maybe there are those in this place that have said yes to that grace, but yet we still find ourselves in a place of trying to earn it. Father, may we rest in you and may we trust you. May we come to you with open hands. And may we move from a place of acceptance and stop trying to move to earn a place of acceptance. Jesus, we say yes. We say yes to the invitation you give us in Matthew chapter 11, where you say this Are you tired? Worn out, burned out on religion. Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. We say yes. We say yes. We say yes. Thank you, Jesus. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.